Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel. Look at chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. Um, Luke 2, 21 through 40. So the, uh, yeah, it's, it's Christmas Sunday today, right? Advent is, uh, the time of the Christian calendar, the weeks leading up to Christmas. And we had, uh, Christmas this week, Christmas day, and Christmas Sunday is the Sunday on or immediately following Christmas day where, uh, we're now in the middle of the season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, and uh, we're going to talk about death this morning. Um, Sorry. Uh, I think we'll be brief about it, though. The older that I get, the the more I think about the fact that I'm going to die. I don't know if you have that experience, but, uh, but, you know, there is a strong statistical probability of the fact that I'm going to die, that you're going to die, right? Pretty much everybody um, has done that. And um, I'm wondering if you think about that much. Do you think about death much? Maybe you're like me. The older you get, the more you think about it. Or maybe you just try not to think about it with uh, every waking moment. But um, how much do you think about death? Do you ever think about how you might die? There are... I think a lot of ways that that might happen, and they're all pretty scary, right? Um, and our, our culture, because of the, I think, the, the fear of death, we've just pretty much removed death from our sight, all reminders of it, uh, and death itself, which is it's just out of our sight. It's not part of our regular experience, um, which makes it hard, I think, to prepare oneself for it, probably. I mean, do you, do you feel ready for death? Um, and depending on that answer, you should ask yourself why you feel ready for death or, on the other hand, why you don't. Right? Um, if you don't feel ready for death, when do you plan on feeling ready for death? Is that part of your plan? Um, what do you need in order to prepare yourself for that? Uh, it's something for us to think about as we read the scriptures this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read uh, Luke 2, 21 uh, to 40. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're looking for consolation as we consider death, um, our own death that surely will meet us. And uh, we know that your word offers consolation. We know Jesus came for this very purpose. So we pray that you would lift up our hearts, that you would um, make us ready, that you would help us by your word, that you would overcome the obstacles that we have in our hearts to um, considering your word, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. We ask you right now for that help in Christ's name. Amen. At the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, or uh, for 84 more years probably is a better translation. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So we're not going to cover all of this this morning, probably come back to it next week, but the... uh, If you've been following with us uh, through the series, the new series on the life of Christ through Luke's gospel to this point, we've already heard some pretty amazing things about Jesus, things you don't hear about anybody else, uh, particularly his origin story, right? Um, He's the son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit miraculously and born of a virgin, Mary. And, um, And so Jesus is both fully God and completely human, two natures in one person, and he came into the world um, to bring glory to God and to bring peace to his people, as we've uh, seen already quoted from Luke's gospel, the words of the angel. Um, And to do that, to bring glory to God and peace to God's people, um, he would live as a human in this broken world, not as a sinful human. There is debate Uh, Just a total side note, and if we have sermon discussion today, we can talk about this more, but um, there is debate whether his human nature is fallen human nature, but uh, whether or not that is true, he did not sin. The scriptures make it clear to us that Jesus Christ himself did not sin, um, but as a righteous and holy human, he lived uh, perfectly fulfilling God's law 
on behalf of his people who can't fulfill, who don't uh, fulfill God's law. And so um, that's highlighted, the, the fact his, his obedience and his law-keeping uh, that characterized his life, that is highlighted even now in his life as an infant, as Joseph and Mary uh, fulfill the law of the Lord. Um, and the, the word law shows up here, uh, it shows up nine times in Luke's gospel. Five of them are here in this passage. So uh, it's kind of an indicator that um, it's highlighting the importance of fulfilling the law. And there are three primary ways uh, in which Jesus, uh, his family, is keeping the law here. First is with his circumcision. Second is with Mary's purification after uh, childbirth. And then third is with his consecration, uh, his being uh, set apart, which is he's called holy to the Lord. Um, and we'll look at these three things just very briefly on the way. But um, first, his circumcision. We see circumcision uh, first in the scriptures in Genesis 17 when God um, makes his promises to Abraham and says, you're going to keep my covenant by having... Uh, by, by you being circumcised and then by your male children being circumcised when they're eight days old. So it's a sign of God's covenant promise. The promises God makes to be God to you and to your children, uh, the sign of that that we're to take upon ourselves uh, in the Old Testament was um, circumcision. So God would be our God and he, and, um, and he would be, be the God of our children. So here, Jesus in his circumcision is being identified with God's people. Right? He is... Um, He's being identified with God's people. He's entering as a human child into the relationship that humans have with God in that covenant relationship. Uh, and it's a covenant that he, unlike anybody else, he would keep through his faithful obedience. And so um, <clears throat> that's reflected in his circumcision. Secondly, uh, they keep the law through, through Mary's purification. Let me read some from Leviticus 12, which is where we see this um, Instituted, It's the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And when the days of her purifying are completed, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he, the priest, shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. There's a lot going on there that we're not going to explain. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure how to explain a lot of it. But um, the ESV Study Bible has a, a pretty helpful, just concise uh, statement on this. He says, about the, the fact that a woman during the time of her menstruation or after childbirth is unclean. He says, uh, the ESV Study Bible understands it this way, the loss of blood signifies or symbolizes, in a sense, um, that one is incomplete and unclean. Right, so um, as far as I can figure it, um, the loss of blood makes one... Um, incomplete or unclean, it's at least symbolic 
because blood is precious. And uh, as, as the law says, the life is in the blood. Um, and it's supposed to be on the inside of the body. When it's not, there's something wrong. And there can't be something wrong. That's um, For you to have a relationship, for you to be holy and clean and pure in God's sight, there can be nothing wrong. And, um, and so it's at least symbolic of the fact that something is wrong, that the blood is on the outside of our bodies, right? So that, that I think, explains why there is this process of purification that is required, that Mary goes through that process uh, as a good uh, Jewish girl would. And, <clears throat> and Luke also points out in this passage, once again, the, the poverty of Jesus' family, right? Because you're supposed to bring a lamb and one of these birds, Unless you can't afford it, then you just bring two of the birds. And, um, and so they present, uh, Joseph and Mary present the sacrificial offering of those who can't afford a lamb. Um, and then thirdly, um, we see in this passage the fulfillment of the law in Jesus' consecration. He's being set apart. He's being called holy to the Lord. And in Exodus 13, this is just immediately following the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt, um, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So, um, again, a lot going on there we're not going to talk about, but the fact that um, Jesus was brought into the temple and it's not mentioned uh, that he was redeemed. There's a commentator, Marshall, who says, The facts that the scene of the present incident is in the temple, no ransom price is mentioned, and the child is present, which he was not necessarily, uh, he didn't have to be present, show that Jesus is not here being redeemed, but consecrated to the Lord. Like Samuel was consecrated to the Lord. He was given to the Lord's service and not not redeemed by uh, killing an animal in his place. So Joseph and Mary are saying to God, This child is yours. This child is yours. Um, and so on a, a brief side note, the things that we see here as fulfilled in Christ um, in, his, uh, in his infancy, you've got uh, circumcision, the identification, and the incorporation into God's uh, people, and the dedication or consecration of him. Uh, these, these are things that we see bundled in uh, baptism, which takes place, it's the new sacrament that takes place in the new temple, which is uh, among God's people. So, and it's here, while the, the family is in the temple... Um, fulfilling the law that we meet Simeon. And so we're going to focus on Simeon today. Um, Anna, who we read about, the, the old 
woman, uh, the prophetess Anna, she doesn't actually seem to add too much content-wise to the account, to the story, uh, except perhaps as a, as a historical reference, because everybody would have known the hundred-year-old woman who basically lived in the temple. Everybody would have known about her, and, and the fact that she was a prophetess made her pretty rare in Israel, Israel's history, right? So everybody would have known about her, and so it would be kind of a historical reference to uh, talk about her, which Luke does. Uh, next week, and again, we're not going to talk about the whole passage even uh, next week, but next week we'll focus on Simeon's words to Mary, her, uh, the, the words that were made personal to her. But uh, this morning we're talking about his song, um, which is, you see it appear in your Bible as verse. But <clears throat> Simeon, um, in his song, is saying that on, on seeing the child Jesus, he is ready to die. What it means when he says, Lord, now, and the emphasis is on now, like finally, now, you are letting your servant depart in peace. And that's a euphemism for, you're, you, I can die now in peace. Um, how old do you think Simeon is? Uh, Luke tells us how old Anna is, but not how old Simeon is. Um, we usually imagine him to be an old man, and as the children's uh, coloring pictures in the back will show him, he's an old man, right? But, um, but he could be in his 30s for all we know, right? And the, the text doesn't say, the text just says that he's ready to die. And we assume, uh, naturally, that that means he's at the end of a good long life, right? Probably because that's when we imagine that, that we would be ready to die, um, let me just say, there's a sense in which no one is fully ready to die. No one is ever fully ready to die. And in fact, uh, death is not something that we should welcome like a friend at any point. No one should ever want to die, even if they're suffering greatly. Even if they're suffering greatly, death is not a natural part of life. It is the enemy of life. And I think that we all know that instinctively, and I think that goes to explain why our society has removed death from our sight, because we have no way of coping with it without going mad, because it's not part of the way that things should be. Right? We know it's not natural, I think, or else we would just have no way to shy away from it, uh, no reason to shy away from it the way that we do so consistently. Um, we know death isn't the way that it's supposed to be, but we just don't have the resources to be able to think about it well or address it well. Um, we actively ignore it, actively ignore it. Um, we spend all of our energy trying to fight it off. I think somewhere in the back of our minds hoping that it actually won't happen or pretending that it's not really going to happen. Um, but this is how the Bible talks about death. It's a curse that hangs over the whole world because of what we have done. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our rejection of God as God. And once you put it in those terms, that it's a curse that hangs over the whole world because of what we have done. If you accept that, then you have to accept that we all deserve it. That you deserve it. That I deserve it. 
And that's worse than death just being inevitable. Um, It's not just something that happens that you can't escape. It's something that we've brought upon ourselves. Each one of us has committed high treason against our maker. We've tried to supplant him as the Lord of our lives. We've tried to make ourselves God. That's the the testimony of the whole scripture. We've tried to make ourselves God. And the penalty for that kind of disobedience, God warned us at the beginning, the penalty for that is death. And um, there's a lot of ways to understand why that's the case why the penalty for our disobedience is death. But we broke the order of things and and let death into the world because of what we did. And there's a sense in which it is God's justice hunting each of us down. But there's a way for us all to be prepared to some degree, to be prepared to meet death with personal courage and hope and even peace. And that's what happened when Simeon met Jesus. It says in verse 25, Simeon, he, he was a righteous and devout man, it says. Um, which maybe we kind of instinctively think that's the way to be prepared for death, right? Is to be a righteous and devout person. Um, we can feel okay about it because of who we are or what we've done. Maybe that's our instinct. But it says he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So his own piety was not a consolation to him. Uh, The devout don't rely on their own devotion to prepare them for death. The devout look away from themselves to God and to his mercy and to his salvation and consolation. And it had been revealed to him, it says in verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's an amazing promise that he received, Um, but Simeon trusted that promise. Simeon trusted God's word to him, and so he'd been waiting for consolation, and if ever people needed consolation, it's because of death. Death is the inescapable hunter. It's the end of all the possibilities. It's the impenetrable darkness. It's the terrifying enemy, and it should cause us all to weep. And the only consolation that will strengthen our hearts is knowing that we have a friend who is stronger than our enemy. And for thousands of years, God had promised the coming of this friend that even though we clearly deserve death in his perspective, and as seen clearly in his word, God promised a deliverer to save us from it. And Simeon was told that he would see this deliverer, this Christ, with his own eyes. And when he looked to where God pointed, he saw a newborn baby. Son of God, who dwelt in eternity before all worlds, bursting with everlasting joy and life and love. He was born just this little baby boy. He was born into this world that's covered with the dark curtain that we've pulled down on ourselves. And the baby was named Jesus, which means God saves. God saves. Because he would grow up to save his people from their sins and from what they deserve 
which is death, eternal death, under God's wrath for our sin by living a life of submission to God on our behalf and by dying under God's curse on our behalf and then by conquering death on our behalf in his resurrection. Jesus, called the friend of sinners, he's beaten back our greatest enemy. And now death is a toothless enemy. It bit down hard on Jesus and all of its teeth fell out. And Jesus, by his righteous sacrifice for us, has robbed, he has stripped death of its power over us. He's stripped death of its power to rob us of everlasting life. He has shined his light into the darkness, letting us see through the curtain to the other side, to the unfading glory that awaits all of those who have faith in Christ, who trust in him. Jesus has promised, sworn by his own blood to his people, that upon our death we'll be in God's presence forever. When you die, your body dies, your soul rises to heaven. And one day, because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of his resurrection, even your body will rise again, never to die again. It'll be made like Jesus. Jesus has promised this by his blood. How is that for consolation in the face of death? So death is now no longer an impossible fear. Phil Riken says that anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die, and anyone who has not seen him, whether young or old, is not ready to die at all. If you've seen him with eyes of faith, you're ready, and if you haven't, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not ready. And nothing more than what you've heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to make you ready for death. You can't do anything to be ready You can only rely on what Jesus has already done because he loves you. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he died for you, that his death is sufficient to wipe away your guilt in God's sight? Do you believe that he rose again and that his own eternal life is yours as a free gift? Because that's the truth of the gospel. We close with... uh, the words of a familiar song Jesus lives and so shall I death thy sting is gone forever he who deigned for me to die lives the bands of death to sever he shall raise me from the dust Jesus is my hope and trust Jesus lives and death is now but my entrance into glory courage then my soul for thou hast a crown of life before thee Thou shalt find that thy hopes were just. Jesus is my hope and trust. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, uh, it is uh, our great privilege to be able to call you Father and not only judge, not only the righteous one who... um, has declared that we shall die for our rebellion. We're glad to call you Father because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, And we pray even now that if any of us struggle with this faith, this trust, this reliance on Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection on our behalf, that uh, you would quicken our hearts, that you would make us alive to you by your Holy Spirit and make us... uh, Make us into the people who will never die again um, through our faith in our Savior.
And um, we pray that uh, as we go into this world, this, this world that still lies under the curse in so many ways, that still has that uh, dark curtain hanging over it, the curtain that we uh, try not to talk about or think about, uh, we pray that you would make us the kind of people who are a beacon of hope and light and life, uh, not because of our own good works, but because of you. Would you be our life and our hope and our courage and our peace, Lord Jesus? And would you, uh, through us, as, as your instruments in this world, would you bring your life and light and courage and hope and peace to all those in our uh, families, our circles of friendship, our neighbors? Um, would you extend uh, the kingdom of life and, um, and beat back the curse, the curse of darkness and death that still lies over this world because of what we've done. Uh, would you do that, and would you win glory for yourself, and would you please grant peace to us and to our uh, friends and loved ones who don't yet know you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.